are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel, and I'm joined tonight by my good friend, Mr. Nick View. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going pretty good. Feels a little lonely in here, though, without Dave next to me this time. <laughs> that was, man, was that not a great episode? That really was, man. He, and he, I tell you what, he was just, he was giddy. It was, it was, he's just a very, very passionate guy and just very excited to be, to be doing this. And that's fun to watch somebody kind of light up when they talk about something they're really passionate about. And I'll be honest, that was, that was the biggest reason I, I asked him while we were at Compton's, if he'd, if he'd be on the show, cause you could just tell he's, he's like a kid in a candy store. And, you know, well, there's other, there's other euphemisms I, I could use, but I'll keep those to myself, but you could, you could just tell he was so excited about, about what he's doing. Uh, and it, and it came through and, uh, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten good feedback from that episode. We've really gotten really good feedback on everything we we've done, you know, since Compton's, all of those episodes were great. Um, and it just, it, it does feel really good and it really feels good to give somebody like David a chance to, to talk about his, you know, his passion. He, it really is. And, and, and it does. And, and he's putting out a really good product. Um, I, I wish I'd have had a, sh- a chance to, to shoot at Compton, um, and um, I got to shoot the Manistee, the Arcadia, and the and the uh, the Boardman, which are all great names, by the way. Freaking, just those names are so good. Um, but I uh, I got to shoot every single one of them, and they all shot nice. Um, the uh, I'm a little more since I'm such a gangly guy. I'm I'm <laughs> I like the uh, the um, Oh geez, the Manistee the best, um, obviously because it's like a sixty-four, and and that one just that one shoots the his personal Manistee shoots like butter, and he says he's going to have at least one more Manistee done for the GLLI, and I can't wait to shoot it because um, they are super slender, and they just feel great. The cast on that bow is great, so uh, I, I I don't know he he's doing he's doing an excellent job, and he, I'm telling you he's going places. He he's an up and comer if he can stick with it with that young family, he's going to be a good one. Well, and I, I honestly can't wait to shoot, you know, one of the Manistees myself. It's, uh, I've, I've kind of gotten to where the last couple of years that, that 64 inch mark just seems to be the sweet spot. Uh, I used to like the longer bows because they, you know, they are a bit more forgiving, a bit more stable, but I guess just as, you know, as I've, as I've gotten more comfortable shooting and and you know just really spent a lot more time behind the bow than 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 what i was doing in the early years mm-hmm. it just doesn't make as much difference anymore and i really like the maneuverability of those 64s and i've got this 66 from from uh greg coffee that i'm gonna be i'm gonna be hunting some with this year too but you know that really only adds one inch on each end you really don't notice it um until you to me it's it's i just don't i don't notice it until i go up to like a I don't know a sixty-eight. Then I can then I start feeling like it's a little a little longer. If you're you know if you're in a stand or in a blind where space is really tight. You know that's really funny that you mentioned that because uh, I I was telling David when he was here that usually I'm like you know I, my opinion on sixty-fours back in the day was why don't you just go for a sixty-six you know and and or or go with a sixty-two you know I I've always kind of been a sixty-two or a sixty-six and that's all the bows I really own but funny the last like you know i think i've owned three bows in the last five years that were all 64s and they are kind of in that sweet spot i did go down to a 62 on my latest one but 
I really liked the way his 64 shot. It had a really good, like I said, just a really good feel to it. Um, and I love how slender in the hand it is. Uh, it's just a really sweet bow. If, 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 any, if you get a chance to go to the GLI and shoot one out there in listener land, you, you definitely should. And, his, and that's not to say the Boardman and the Arcadia aren't good bows. Um, I'm not really a recurve, recurve guy. Um, you know, and I do like that 50 style recurve, which is what the Boardman is. And it shot nice. Um, and if one was made in my specs, I bet you would be awesome. Um, the Arcadia though, uh, I think I was, you know, me shooting a 58 is not a good combination. I'm just, I'm too long in the arm, but for a 58, that bow was very smooth and really pretty. He's got a good eye for wood. So, uh, it, uh, yeah, very, very, very nice bows. He's got a good price point, And again, I can't wait to see some of these bows circulating and have him get his groove. So it was neat talking to David and that was a really good, uh, Really good experience. It was it was one of the better episodes, in my opinion, for for bow talk for sure. Well, and I'll be honest. Uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about with David is is you know getting him on the show when he's he's really just getting his 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 feet planted um, as a boyer and being able to go back and, and touch base with him. You know, at least once a year, maybe more often, but you know, see what's see what's new, see how things are going. I think it's just a, a really good opportunity, and hopefully it's good for him, too. I'm, you know, he, like you said, he's just a super nice guy, and I don't care, you know, what you're doing. If you're if you're really passionate about what you're doing, you're going to create a better, uh, a really good product. I won't say a better product. There's a lot of really good boys out there, but um, you just, you you tend to, to put your heart into everything when you're passionate about it the way you mm-hmm. Definitely. So, how have you been? Uh, you know, not bad. Um just doing the work thing. And, and, uh, you know, I said last week when we were, uh, talking with David that I had plans to, to make it down to middle Georgia, uh, last weekend and that didn't work out. Um, I, I guess you could consider it a funny story. I, I decided that I was going to put it off until Friday because I really needed to get the the yard mode it was it was getting to the point where i was afraid i was going to find a vehicle that had been abandoned or something <laughs> um, because we you know we were we were out of town for two weeks i was working uh remotely for a week and then you know the 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 girls were on vacation uh for the whole two weeks and then we come back and i had to jump right back into work and everything else so at that point it had been three weeks since the the yard had been mowed. i said you know i've got to do that first so um I actually got out and started really a little too early. The, the grass was still wet, but I'm I'm just mowing and having a big old time. And this the the third lap through, um, I felt something burning in my chest. And next thing I know, I felt a burning in the top of my head. And then I realized that I had had ran over a yellow jacket's nest. Oh, and they no! Decided to start <laughs> feasting on me. So uh, I bailed off the lawnmower. Luckily, these things have kill switches in it because I wouldn't even take the time to turn it off. <laughs> I'd just let the thing run, run away. But I bailed off the lawnmower and and uh, cursed a bit and stomped around a bit and then you know came in the side and uh, took a, a, a Benadryl. Um, went and got some. I had to get some parts for my my. Uh, weed trimmer so i went and did that and got some spray and came back and anyway spent the rest of the day getting the the lawn and everything done and then sunday i had to work on strings because i'm just behind on strings so 
Um, if I can, I've, I'm going to try to make it this week. Uh, and this ties into some of the things that, you know, we're, we're getting ready to talk about tonight. But if I don't make it this weekend, I'm just, I'm just not going to go. I'll just wait and, and, you know, wait and go down during, during, uh, hunting season. Cause I, I don't want to put any pressure on these deer down there at all. So if I, if I can't make it this weekend, I think I'm just going to wait, but, um, pretty sure i'm gonna go down there for at least a half a day yeah we didn't uh we didn't do anything last weekend we were pretty much it was it was the hottest week of the year last week and uh we were gonna go camping we had thunderstorms too so we ended up not going camping um kind of just spent the weekend as a family so we didn't really do anything outside last week other than a little bit of yard work when it cooled off on sunday but um, I'm hoping to, my, my dad and my mom are actually visiting this weekend and I might take my dad fly fishing. Um, that'd be cool. Yeah. He's never fly fished. I thought that'd be kind of, I'm going to have him bring in a spin cast rod too, but, um, he's been, he's kind of had a fishing resurgence. He's really catching a lot of walleye and sheep's head and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. He's been going with my mom every other night and just having a blast. So, um, I, you know, I, I always told him, I said, Nick, you really have a lot of fun with a fly rod, but. We'll see if you, how if he wants to do it or not. And uh, we're at some really low water levels right now, so we'll have to see how that looks. But the water, I think, is probably cooled a little bit, um, and uh, we might be able to go uh, in the morning there on Saturday before it before it heats up at all, and uh, maybe throw some terrestrials out there or something, and and right. see if we can get see if we can get a couple hookups and i bet you see if i can't get him addicted to it because i think he'd have a whole lot of fun doing what he's doing now but what a fly rod i think that would be hilarious i can't imagine him getting a walleye on a fly rod that would be a riot um well i'm i'm still gonna carry my three weight that i got from scott uh with me this week and and this weekend and and try to hit that pond a little bit but i'll be honest you guys and you guys have had it too but it's just it's so oh it's terrible uh, I know we've been watching the, the Midwest is just getting cooked right now, and and it's I mean it's pretty much what we always deal with. But I know you guys aren't aren't used to it, and mm-hmm. you already had one AC failure because of it. So oh, well, at least we got that taken care of, and thank God that we did because it was getting pretty bad. Um, but I'm still slinging that three weight around too uh, that Scott let me borrow, and I think I'm gonna have a hard time giving it back. Um, I'm getting, a, I'm, I'm sure he'll probably sell it to you. If you yeah, want. maybe, I don't know. He said he never sell that rod. He couldn't sell it. So I, uh, I, I don't know, but it's a, I love that seven foot length and that, and that, that just that three way. And I just love the way that glass feels. Um, it's, it's just different. Um, I really, really dig it. So, um, I want to give that a few more goes and, uh, finish out the season with it and, you know, and I've got, I've got plans to try to get in uh, the big rod out here too. And, this year but yeah you know we'll be we'll be in hunting season before we know it and uh we already kind of thinking about that tonight aren't we yeah that's uh so we were we were sitting around thinking about ideas i'm uh i've got a a bunch of guests we've got several guests lined up um really good when we're planning for for next week i've got uh three really good uh people here locally that that i'm going to be uh sitting down and interviewing um, on some really great and and somewhat different topics, I think. So those will be a lot of fun. But uh, we really didn't have anything lined up this week guest-wise, and uh, we were tossing around some ideas and decided that the, the best thing we could do, deer season is just around the corner. I mean, it's, it's um, just a little over a month away from me, and I know it's not quite that close for you, but – uh, we're on the we're on the downhill slide now as far as you know coming into to 
to deer seasons across the especially across the east coast um and the midwest and what i thought would be kind of fun is to sit down and and talk about you know a top 10 list of things that if you if you haven't already done these things um you should probably start thinking about them and looking at them uh, of things you should do uh to get ready for uh deer season most of these i think are um i don't know i won't say common knowledge but um it gives us an opportunity to kind of talk about and maybe talk about some things that we do specific uh, to these top 10 things. Uh, and then some that may be a bit just completely off the wall or people aren't even thinking about. So I thought it'd be a lot of fun. So you and I both kind of put together a, a list independently. And then before we press the record button tonight, we, we kind of sat down and went through the list and shuffled some things around and uh, and merged some stuff together. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, too. And I was actually, uh, well, I'm not too surprised that they were pretty similar, but they all kind of fell right into place. They did. The only thing different is we, you ranked them from 1 to 10. I ranked them from 10 down to 1. <laughs> uh, but I was sitting there thinking about it, and there's you know, there's a couple of reasons I did. It's almost, you know, for some reason, you know, I don't know how many people are familiar with David Letterman and his his top 10 list that he used to do, but that was obviously one thing that was on my mind. and. And I really think the number one thing that I've got is going to surprise a little bit of people um, or at least kind of jump out at you, maybe let, let you think a little bit. So I wanted that one to be the last one. So uh, what do you say we just kind of jump in here and see where this list takes Let's us? do it. All right. So uh, you want to go with you want to start with number 10 or you want me to? Uh, I can start with number 10. Uh, Take it all away, right. Brother. So 10 is basically shoot. I mean, I think we're we're all pretty much, or the bulk of us shoot quite a bit, you know, if we if we hunt regularly, uh, and like we like to shoot our bows, but you know, shoot whenever you can. Um, I'll let you handle this one in a minute, Steve. But I uh, usually what I kind of do this time of year is um, I definitely I, I pick the bow, I commit to the bow I'm going to hunt with, and I start hunting with I start shooting with that bow to finish out the 3D season. And as we get closer and closer to the season, usually every other night I try to shoot, you know, five to ten arrows um, off the deck in my backyard, uh, kind of around dark time a little bit, just to kind of get into that mindset of, you know, you don't get a lot of warm-ups when you hunt. So, you know, you got to kind of go out there and just, you got to make sure that you're all tuned in and that you can just do it. So that's kind of what I start doing. What about you? Yeah, so a couple of things I'll I'll add to that. Um, yes, I think you know as traditional um, bow hunters, we probably shoot more year round than than the average uh, shooter shooting modern equipment. Obviously, there's there's a lot of people out there shooting modern equipment that shoot year round as well. But um, I don't, I doubt you're going to find many that will shoot as many arrows. Now that being said, uh, I think there are a good bit of people that modify their setup for the 3d season, or maybe they're into target archery. Um, you know, they're, they're shooting a lighter bow. Maybe they're shooting a lighter, lighter arrow with the same bow that they hunt with, but you know, it could be a different combination. Um, personally, I shoot the same setup year round that I hunt with. So unless I decide for some reason to, you know, to pick up a different bow, which I do from time to time at some point during the season. Opening day, I'm shooting a bow that I've been hunting since the last day of season the previous year. So not a lot changes. But some things, even even if 
Well, before I go to the even if, so if you're de- if you are shooting a different uh, bow or arrow setup than what you're used to or what you're planning to hunt with, then I think you definitely need to be getting out there and doing the, the, the switch now. Start shooting with the bow and the arrow combination that you're going to be uh, hunting with. The other thing that I think is really important is practicing the type of shots that you ex- that you uh, see a lot when you're uh, when you're hunting. You know, shooting from a seated position, maybe uh, shooting from an elevated position is definitely a big one. Not a lot of 3D courses have an elevated shot. I know some do, but not not many. So you know, be practicing from an elevated position. If you're going to sh- hunt from a blind, practice shooting from a blind. Um, the other big one that really throws people off sometimes that I think everybody should practice is close shots. You know, most 3D courses, you're going to have most of your targets are going to be 12, 15 yards minimum. Might take some shots at five and six yards. Get in really close. You know, it, it amazes me if we, um, if we set a course at our local club and we set three targets that are, you know, 18, 20 yards out, and then we put one at five yards, it's amazing how many people just completely miss it because they're not used to shooting in close. So practice shooting in close. Um, the other thing that I would recommend, too, is start throwing in uh, some blind bell uh, sessions with your with your practice. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about when I say blind bell, it's shooting – um, focusing nothing on, on nothing but your form and on, you know, one aspect of your form at a time. Um, with a good backstop, get close to your target, you know, maybe it's three or four yards. And you, again, you're not worried about where you're hitting. You're closing your eyes and you're drawing and shooting that bow. Um, again, you've got to make sure you're in a safe situation to do this. But what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to focus on a smooth draw a consistent anchor, um, a repeatable release, all the things that we sometimes get in the habit of not doing when we're focused so much on hitting the target. And that, that blind bell can really let you um, focus in on key things about your about your form and your shot execution that you, you might be neglecting mm-hmm. um, just with your regular shooting. So that's something that I think is really important, and I usually start doing about this time of, of the year um, just to get ready for hunting. Season. Agreed. It's a good way to reset yourself, and I think we all need that every now and again. Plus, it's something even if you have a basement, you can do in your basement. Um, you, when I started shooting, I did that a lot. Um, the other thing I'll add to that, um, if you're shooting at a wide open target, uh, try to put something in front of it, whether you've got, I don't know if you got a 10 gallon bucket or, you know, better yet, if you got some brush, you can throw in front of it, you know, make some lanes in it. You know, I mean, how often are you going to get a wide open shot at a deer? It doesn't happen very often. That's another good thing to do. Um, and then the other thing I like to do is I know there's a lot of group shooters out there. Everybody likes to shoot those tight groups, but. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to shoot that many, you know, shoot four or five and then from one position to then change your position, change your yardage, or maybe even take a knee or sit down and try to really vision, envision yourself hunting and then take that shot again. Don't get so caught up in muscle memory that you're only shooting at one, one thing, one from one, one position all the time. That's a, that's a summer, you know, that's a summer thing. That's a league thing. Uh, do something different, you know, put yourself in that mindset, you know, try to, Try to give yourself a little buck fever um, and go from there. And there was actually, there was one other thing that I expected you to throw in there. And now that you didn't, I will. Um, 
another really good way to practice if you've got the area to do it is is get out and, and stump shoot. Oh, you yeah. Know, go take a little walk through the woods and, and pick random targets at just distances that you have no <laughs> idea what they are. You know, leaves, sticks, uh, uh, stumps, you know, if you if you want to do that. I don't shoot at stumps much um, because I have to leave arrows in the woods when I do. But, <laughs> um, but you can – there's all kinds of things that you can find to shoot at. Um that again puts you more in that hunting mode uh, than just than just shooting at targets. And if you can't do that, one reason I really enjoy the the blob style targets is there is no point of aim. I have to actually look for a discoloration or shoot at a previous hole I can see in the target. Those kind of things that is similar to you know focusing on a single hair that kind of thing when you're looking at that. You know, and I'll add one more thing to that. I don't want to put too much time here, but if you I know elevation is definitely an issue. Not everybody can put a stand up in their yard and shoot. Um, one thing I did, and it seemed to work pretty good last year, um, was I I will actually stand on top of a chair. I'll get a nice wide chair. And uh, even if you, whether you get further from a target or right up close to the target to get the angle, almost like a bail, um, if you stand on top of a chair, you still have to you still have to bend over and get the right angle on your shot which will imitate you shooting from a tree stand. And Steve can attest to this. When I went down to, went down to Georgia to see him this year, that's pretty much all I did. And I we did the tennis ball drill in his backyard, and I drilled a tennis ball three or four times just standing up in that tree. So right. it works. It works if you can't do well, it. You can do it in a pinch. That's exactly right. And bending at the waist. Yep. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest key when you're shooting from an elevated position is to bend at the waist. Don't drop your bow arm to adjust your elevation. Um, and that just takes, that takes practice. And I will tell you that one bit me back in March when I was hunting hogs. Um, I was hunting out of a saddle. First time I'd really done that with a, a platform and I missed. And I, after I was sitting back thinking about it, I know exactly why I missed. I, I didn't bend at the waist because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't used to shooting from a, a saddle in, in that kind of situation. And I know what I did. I just dropped my arm instead of, instead of bending. So, uh, that's one that you, you really need to practice a lot just to get in that mindset so that you're constantly doing it. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, I think we beat that one up. Let's move on to to number nine. Um, and this one is one that you know I was sitting back as I was trying to think through these, and I thought, you know, this is one I'm I'm a bit guilty of myself right now, and and that is, you know, what does your freezer look like? Um, have you have you consumed all the the venison, the wild game that you you put in the freezer last fall? Um, if you're if you're like me and you don't have a, a ton of space then, you know, I need to plan for what I'm hoping to put in the freezer this year. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you've got a lot of extra game taking up your freezer, now's the time to start thinking about, you know, how, how can I use that? Um, maybe get creative so you're, you're making different dishes than what you're accustomed to, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, use it up. Make, make room. You, you, you want to make sure you've got plenty of room for that that great year coming up. No, what a problem to have. I, the only thing I got in mind is motivation. So we're, we're good there. <laughs> we're, we're going to, we're going to get after it. The only thing you've got in your freezer is motivation. Well, well and, and frozen chicken nuggets and French fries. That's, that's, that's about it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. You need to go and just make you a sign. 
just a piece of paper, hashtag motivation, <laughs> and, <laughs> and stick it in there. <laughs> Hang it on your well, freezer. Well, there's, there, pretty- there's our episode photo on Instagram. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I got, in fact, I've got more pieces of critters that aren't deer in my freezer. (laughs) I've got, for fly tying, I've got pheasant wings and I've got squirrel tails from Sean Clarkson (laughs) in my freezer right now, but no deer meat. (laughs) I got, I got, I got more odds and ends for fly tying than I do anything to eat. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, you're not coming to Georgia this year, so this is your year. You'll, you'll, you'll get one this year. I hope so. Uh, Tom Tom is talking about possibly coming down. So if he shoots anything, we're just not going to tell. He's you. been successful. Why um, would he do that? <laughs> maybe to be maybe hey, to humble no. himself. Is that what he's doing? Maybe. Well, he still hasn't taken a whitetail though. Oh, that's true. He has yeah, not. He still has not taken a whitetail. He's killed every every flipping thing else on the planet. It seems this year, but he is not taking his a ears are yet, burning so. right now. That's going to be funny when he hears this. That's that's good. It's funny when he hears this. <laughs> <it. laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to number eight because that one's. I do think it's important, but it's not really a lot to talk about there. Eat that venison, folks. Um, so number eight, um, clothing, and this is not. So my 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 prep for clothing. Um, and I'll let you take the next one, Nick, because I just jumped right in here and, and started no, the right. list when I was flipping it back to you. But um, this isn't about washing your clothes and covering them with uh, baking soda or spraying them down with whatever latest odor killer concoction there is. Um, what I'm talking about is is you know what what worked well for you last year, what kept kept you cool in the in the in the hot weather and what didn't what helped keep you warm when it was cold what didn't um you know maybe there's some uh different fabric you want to try uh if you if you haven't tried wool maybe you're wanting to try wool those kind of things now's the now's the time to be thinking about those things you don't want to wait until the first big cold front comes in and go well crap i forgot to buy my you know a, a heavier wool jacket or whatever that may be so um, you know, start going through your, your, your clothes now, um, thinking about what you wore last year, what you were happy with, what you weren't happy with. Maybe there's some modifications you can make yourself. Um, as far as the whole, you know, scented, scented, unscented, descending, whatever you want to call that. Um, I, I admit I wash my clothes in unscented detergent, but it's more because I don't want to smell my own sweat than it is about trying to keep a deer from smelling me. But, um, uh, other than that, just, you know, make sure your clothes are ready to go. Um, and I know you had talked about, you had some other things there, Nick, that I hadn't thought about. Yeah. You know, check them for tears, deburr them. I mean, if you hunt in some thick stuff or, you know, in Michigan, we got a lot of green briary stuff and a lot of tangleweed stuff and a lot of, um, a lot of burrs, tons of burrs. Uh, at least where I hunt, there's tons of burrs. Uh, <laughs> deburr in your clothes is like something that nobody wants to do. But you just got to because you don't want to be rolling out their gloves and stuff, too. I usually get them all over my gloves and everything. So that's another thing. And I don't know if you'd, uh, you know, maybe check them for treat them for ticks or whatever you're going to do there. Whatever you got to do, you know, that's. And that is a that is a very good point. And actually, I hadn't thought about that until you just me- mentioned it. But ticks are horrible this year. Um, so uh, I would strongly suggest if you're going to be hunting. Uh, in areas where it's still warm enough for ticks, uh, go ahead and treat your clothes now. Permethrin will last 
a long time. Treat them now, let them dry, pack them away. I think that stuff lasts through a couple of washes, actually. So um, now's a good time to be doing that. Some people may still be doing some scouting, and you're already doing this, but uh, maybe you don't scout in the same clothes that you hunt with. So uh, good point, Nick. I didn't even think about mm-hmm. that. And then on the, you know, the burrs and so forth, we, we don't have a ton of that. Um, I know you probably don't believe that after your incident with the sand spurs, but, um, <laughs> we, we really don't. I mean, we, we'll have some, uh, what they call beggar lice. I don't know if you know what those are. Um, but we'll have some beggar lice, but they just kind of, they've got a fuzz on them. It makes them stick to everything. They don't stick. You. Yeah. We got, we got, we um, got every kind of burr. I mean, you know, they don't really, I, I don't really think they stick you as much as they, I mean, they get in their clothes and you put a, you put a burry shirt on, you'll feel it. I mean, it's just, ir- it's irritating, right, right. but I mean, if you're wearing, and it doesn't even really matter where you're, what you're wearing, unless you got some kind of Carhartt thing on, but it's it's gonna get on you. Know, we got every kind of burr known to man, and and you know you just get one of those burr stones and just sit there and scrape them. And you know, it'll take me an hour to get all my clothes done because I usually don't want to do it through the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you probably didn't think we were gonna spend all this time on clothes, but I mean, it's 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 a big deal if you're coming out there opening day and your stuff's just not right. You're not gonna sit very long or stand very long. That's for sure. Well, and the other thing too is um, sizing. Um, yeah. If you're like me and you've <laughs> you've managed to spend way too much time at a desk and not enough time uh, exercising and and you're you're eating on the fly like I typically am too. I I already know I'm gonna have some some sizing problems with some of my clothes this year. So uh, that's another thing to to take into consideration. Um, you know, as far as storage, I usually do a pretty good job. I actually bought a bunch of you know just plastic totes. Um, several years ago that have a, uh, airlock seal on them. And I did that more because I want to be able to just throw them in the back of the truck. And if it rains, no, my clothes are going to stay dry. Um, but you know, after, after season, if I need to wash something, I do. Um, but most of my stuff goes in, in those bins. And then I've got a, an old army foot locker, um, that I picked up at an antique store that uh, I stand upright in my, my room down here and I keep cedar in it. And that's where all my, my uh, wool clothes go. So, you know, they're hanging up. They're ready to go. So I don't have a lot to do, but um, it's still a good idea to go through and check everything. Um, and I even go through and look at, you know, what I know I'm going to be wearing through uh, the end of October because it's, you know, it's still going to be 80, 80, 85 degrees midday up through October here. So everything that I'll be wearing for two months is is lightweight stuff. So, yep. Yeah, I'm the next one. All right, I'll let you. Uh, anything else on clothing? No, I think we're good. We're ready to move on to number uh, number seven on your list here. Um, I'll let you take yeah, that one. Brother and that's Boy. arrows. You know, how are your arrows shooting? I mean, is there anything you need to change? Uh, how are your broadheads? Are they flying all right? You know, are they? Do you have some rigged up to shoot your broadheads? You know, can you sharpen your broadheads? All that stuff. Now is the time to get it done. Get it ready to go, so you're not second guessing yourself. Come fall. What do you got to add to that, Steve? Uh, you know, I I, can add, I could sit here and add to that one. For I know an you hour, could probably. <laughs> um, so, as I've said on on many times when this subject has come up, as I've said on my videos, I understand. It, you know, it's not for the way I go about my errors is not for everybody, and I get it. 
and hey, if whatever if what you're using works for you, you know, more power to you. Definitely not not trying to sway people. But if you are one of the people that have been thinking about trying to you know shoot a heavier set, arrow setup, or maybe you want to you know dabble with with uh, higher front of center, those kind of things. Now is definitely uh, the time to do it. Um, this subject came up on you know our favorite social media platform today, where somebody posted. God help us! Another picture of the. What do you think about the the cold steel cheap shot plastic broadhead? <laughs> um, and and you know I pretty much told them what I thought and told them that I I think I said something like I shot a raccoon with it one once and it chased me all the way to my truck. <laughs> um, <laughs> what what always gets me when this whole discussion about arrows come up and, and you know again. I don't. I, I really don't care. Shoot what you want to shoot. But when people start bickering and bantering back and forth, the first thing that always pops into my mind is: um, so you you buy a bow that costs you. Even if you're buying used, you're probably paying a couple hundred dollars unless you're buying uh, something really cheap. Um, and I know there's more people out there shooting five, six, seven hundred dollar custom bows than than will will, will usually admit it. But you're going to spend all that money on the bow, and then you try to find the cheapest arrow broadhead setup that you can possibly find. Um, toss stones and, and ridicule people that are spending too much money. And I forget now who was talking to me about this. I wish I could remember their, who it was. Um, but anyway, the, they said, you know, I always ask people the question, how many, how many deer have you killed with a bow? You're with your bow. And they'll say, oh, you know, I killed three last year. I took, you know, I've taken 15 in my life, whatever that number is. And he said, I just look at him and say, no, you didn't. And so they always look at me funny. And, I, and he said, I always tell them, you killed that deer with the arrow. The, the bow was just a tool to, to send that arrow. Unless you chased one down and whacked it over the head with a bow, you you killed it with the arrow, and it it just you know, I, I would just tell people really think about what you're sending downrange. Is it flying well? Um, are you confident you can get those broad heads just ridiculously sharp? Um, do you want to try a heavier setup? Uh, do you worry about hitting bone and what's going to happen if you do and those kind of things? Now's the time to get dialed in if you want to make a change. Mm-hmm. And I would I would um, add to that that you wood arrow guys, um, at least once a year, if, if you're one of those guys that use hot melt, you should check to make sure that your stuff's on tight. You know, maybe reheat them up and stick them back down. Check for wobble, stuff like that. If you're switching, if you're the kind, of, if a lot of a lot of wood shooters that I know will shoot their field points right up until the beginning of the season and then switch their broadheads on their best four or five arrows. That's perfectly fine. Just make sure everything's nice and secure, no wobble. Um, and the last thing you want is a broadhead coming off when you hit an animal because you haven't checked your hot melt in a long time. I shot wood for quite a while, and and that's, it, you know, with the change in, they change. You know, it's a different material. You have to, you're using glue and you're using natural materials and you got to make sure all that stuff is bonded and that the bond stays strong. Well, and, and good point. Um, another point on the hot melt, I think you were going the same, the same direction, but, uh, you were, you were hunting the, with those arrows. The last time you, the last time you were hunting with those arrows, it was really cold. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then you brought them in the house and they've been warm and, you know, your temperatures in your house have fluctuated. You've been running your heat. So it gets dry. It gets moist in the house after summer rolls around. The wood's expanding. All these things are going on and it's not a lot, but it's enough that it can cause that, that heat, that hot melt to, to lose its, lose its touch with the material it's bonded to. So very good point. I hadn't even thought about that. I haven't used hot melt in so long, but mm-hmm. I have had that happen. So I know it can, I know it can happen just from the change in the, in the seasons and the Absolutely. And, it, and cedar shafts are really affected by changing climate too. If you've got them sitting in a back quiver, actually it really doesn't matter how you store them. They're, you got to check them to make sure they're straight. I mean, and that's main, it's mainly for your newbies out there. Um, a lot of guys who shoot wood know that you have to do that, but you can't just, no matter how you store them, you're going to have to with, as, especially in a state like Michigan, where you got tons of humidity and fluctuation, they will warp. They will hook like candy canes almost. Sometimes you have to make sure that you check all those. Well, and I, and I, the last thing I want to say on this is I do want to go back to the sharpening because I, I, I can't tell you how many times in a year I see people talk about how they can't get broadhead sharp. Um, if you can't get your broadhead sharp, find some way to learn. You know, reach out and find if, if there's somebody in their area that can that's willing to sit down and show you. I know Nick, you struggled for a long time, and once you sat down and let me show you, it took you two minutes, and you were you were up and going. Yeah, um, I literally forgot how to sharpen for like two months. Steve yeah, had to reshow um, me how to do it, and I just had the angle wrong. <laughs> Uh, yeah, nope. it's it's usually something very simple, but you you just can't sit back and say, "Well, I can't get broadhead sharp." You need you need to learn. Um, I I used to say I've never took a broadhead out of a package that was what I considered hunting sharp. Um, I haven't seen the new ones he's putting out, but um, Jarrett Babinsack may prove me wrong with the uh, set I got from him from Bone Broadheads last year. Um, those things came out of the package, uh, and I was just amazed. They were scalpel sharp. Um, and he, I'm assuming he probably still does this, but he, when he, when he puts these things in a pack, he actually, um, uses, uh, that rubbery glue that you sometimes see on, on, uh, products that you buy where it's stuck to the back of the card. Mm-hmm. He uses that sticky glue to glue these broadheads to the pack so they're not moving around and they can't rub against stuff to dull themselves and again they were just they were crazy wicked sharp right out of the packs the only ones i've ever bought uh that i felt that way about that's, that's a really um, good idea never thought of that before it it really was and again i'm assuming he's still doing that i haven't bought any from him but i would still say the general rule is when you take a broad head out of the pack it's not going to be sharp enough to hunt with and you really do need to learn how to get them just scary scary sharp um I, last little thing I will I will tell on that story. Uh, back in March, Hog Camp, um, and you know you know Cat, mm-hmm. um, but Cat and her daughter was in camp. Um, they were they're uh, related by marriage to Jared. I think that's right. Yep. Um, and they wanted to shoot bone broadheads. Okay, fine. And Tom Tom came up to me and said, "Would you mind sharpening these things? Because I've never sharpened the convex blade." And I said, "Sure." And he handed these things to me, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast, but I took one look at them, and I went, my first reaction was, you got to be kidding. It was 125 grains, the smallest ones they make, and I could cover the whole broadhead laying flat with my thumb, and my thumb's not overly large. I mean, they were not very big at all. And I must admit, I tried to talk them out of shooting them. Um, 
tried to talk them into shooting something a little bit wider. Uh, they were shooting 30, I think 38 or 40 pound bows, something like that at 28. And they were probably pulling 25 maybe. Um, but I went ahead and sharpened them. I got them just, I mean, they were, I actually sat both of them down and told them when you go out to your, your stands, you both be very careful with these things. Cause if you touch yourself with them, you're going to be cut. They were, they were just that sharp. Um, and cat ended up shooting two hogs. The first one didn't even make it across the road. Her, her stand was on one side of the road and the hog collapsed on the other side of the road. It didn't make it 15 yards. Um, and then the other one she shot might've made it 40 yards piled up with inside of the stand. Uh, and even with that light set up, she got pass throughs on both of those hogs. Now it was, uh, um, on both of them, we're pretty sure the arrow went through and then as it was running, it, it got pulled out and fell out, but still it went in both, went in one side and came out the other. Um, so get them sharp. If you get a broadhead sharp and put it in the right place, it's going to do the job. Mm-hmm. Promise you. Last thing, if your broadheads appear to be shrinking as you're sharpening them, use a smaller file. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> we, we, we've got, we've got friends that, that are at least one friend that thinks that 13 inch mill bastard file is the way to go. And I assure you that it's not, there are easier ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be. It, it So I still use files that big to get the bevel yep. right. Um, but once you get the bevel right, you uh, a four-inch file will do all you need it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you should be you should be polishing or stropping somehow. Um, don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be very careful how I say this because I've done it myself and I still feel like I can do it. But the average person sharpening with a file is raising a wire edge. Jason Sam Koviak covered this in a, in a podcast, did a fantastic job. Um, unless you're using a file so lightly that you're getting to the point where you're honing instead of just filing that blade, you're going to have that issue. So again, learn how to strop, um, learn how to use cardboard, something to get that, that, that wire edge off, um, and get the, get the heads really sharp. Mm-hmm. And I think we beat that one to death, but I, I do think, especially the sharp broad heads is one of the most important things you could, you could spend the time you have between now and, and hunting season is making sure those broad heads are sharp and that you can get them back that sharp once they dull. Cause they'll dull sitting in your quiver. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was that was that yours or mine? That, that was that was. Uh, you took the. I arrow took the one. arrow one. You're on the, you're on the next one there. Okay, so we'll go to the next one. So um, number six, I think, is what we're on is um, pretty simple, but I think it's one that often gets uh, overlooked, and that's what does your bowstring look like? Um, you know, is it is how old is it? How much wear does it have? Um, you know, you can, you can use a string a long time if you're keeping it waxed regularly. Most people say they do, but, you know, tend to let it get a little ratty looking and then they'll rub some wax on it and then they'll shoot it till it gets ratty looking again and then they'll rub some wax on it. So, um, the last thing you want is a string failure right before or right after season opens. So, you know, look at your bowstring, um, Make sure it looks good, and if it doesn't, now's the time to buy or make another one to uh, replace it. And while you're at it, you need to make a spare. Go ahead and get both of those strings shot in so they're ready to go. 
you will thank yourself for for it a hundred times the first time you're you're uh, knocking an arrow in the dark and you're sitting in a tree stand or in a blind and you hit that string with your what should be your scary sharp broadhead and that string pops like it was nothing. Um, you will be very glad you've got that spare string sitting in your sitting in your pack. Have you ever had that happen, Nick? What's that? Cut your string? No, I have not. And I, I should, I hate to even say it because I'm honestly, I'll jinx myself. But no, I have never cut a bowstring. I've always had a spare, sometimes two in my pack, but I've never cut one. Um, yeah, I, 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 and, and I have, and I always keep a spare ever since that day. I don't ever keep multiple spares unless I'm out of state. So, like, if I go to Michigan or if I go out west, um, or South Carolina, I've got more than just one backup. But um, if I'm hunting here local, I've always got a backup in my pack. Um, and really, the the same thing goes there. If you know, if you're if you're wanting to try, you know, a, a different string material or you know whatever, if you want to change anything up on on the string that you you're used to shooting that you've been shooting, again, now's the time to do it. You know, you've got. For most people, a month to two months uh, before the season opens, so you got plenty of time. But any of these things that you're wanting or thinking or you've thought about changing, now is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we're I think we're good on that one. Um, yeah, that was pretty easy. Yep, it was, and so. this one might be too. So mine is, uh, well, not mine, but my next one is get in the right frame of mind. And some of you are wondering, well, how can you not be in the right frame of mind? You only have hunting so many, you know, so once a year, but you know, every year, you know, I review hunting journals. Uh, if I, you know, if you keep one, that's a good thing to do. And I think Steve can elaborate on that because he keeps a much better journal record than I do. Um, you know, conduct your preseason rituals. There's several, there's several works of literature that I usually go back and read. I'll read a little bit of bows in the little Delta, um, I'll read, uh, some story out of stories out of longbows in the fall of the far North, Don Thomas's book. Um, there are just certain stories I like to read every year from the den of the old bow hunter is one I'll add to that rotation. And I mean, I don't read, I don't mean read the whole book, but I read certain passages. I really like that really get my mind back in the woods from the summer, you know, having a summer off and, and a winter and, and, and all that. Um, especially when it comes to deer hunting, uh, I, I, uh, turkeys, I'm just amped to get into the woods because, you know, you just come off a of winter and you want to get back out there and get in the nice weather. But for deer hunting, you know, you wouldn't been, when you've been on the go all summer and it's hot sometimes, you know, this time of year, you might not even really, really be thinking about that now. But, uh, I like to, I like to start reading and, uh, and watching, watching shows. And my, and my ritual is actually before hunting season, I have to watch Escanaba in the moonlight once. <laughs> I have to do it. And Jess knows I have to do it too. My wife, she'll say, well, you know, if I go out opening day, she's like, well, you see anything? No. Would you watch Escanaba? And I was like, yep, it's, it's, it's my, it's my pre pre hunting ritual. What about you, Steve? What do you got to say about this? So the first thing I got to ask is, is does Jess like the movie? Uh, she, she does actually. She <laughs> thinks it's, she thinks the Jimmer is hilarious. So uh, Lori hates it. She, I know she does. <laughs> <laughs> no, she hates that no, movie. <laughs> she really does. Um, you know, I, I don't think I really, I am not, I don't have an ounce of superstition in me. So I really don't have any rituals per se. Um, I, you know, I find myself 
pulling out, you know, certain books and reading certain sections like you. Um, uh, probably not as much as you do, but I do uh, do so. Uh, I still, um, and certain ones, and I'm going to clarify this, but I still like finding certain or pulling out certain uh, hunting videos um, throw them in the VCR, in the VCR, listen the v- to in the, the DVD VCR. player. Um, I actually still have some hunting videos on, on VHS I and I kept a VCR just for that. I actually that, do but, too. I've got October white, white tails, I think from the wind, wind yeah. from the Wenzels. I have to watch that every once in a while. And I actually did pick that one up on DVD, but I do still have it on VHS. I've got some of the old Paul Bruners still on VHS and I'll pull some of those out and watch them. Um, definitely, um, Primal Dreams, Ooh, yeah. uh, definitely Chasing Solitude, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Mitten. Uh, everybody, if you don't know who what Primal Dreams is, please go out and find that immediately. Um, and there's actually a few uh, more modern ones that I will watch, um, even though I'm not uh, and haven't firearm hunted for almost 20 years now. Um, you know, some of the ones that Mike Ranella has put out, I'm mean, excuse me, Steve Ranella has put out, um, I enjoy those and, um, some of the ones that Randy Newberg has put out, I enjoy them. I, I love any of the, even the modern shows, uh, hunting shows where they, I feel like they're focusing on what's most important. Um, the hunt, the experience, not necessarily just going out to shoot something. And there's a few other ones out there, um, that I'm not sitting there watching, uh, a 30 minute show that's, you know, 20 minutes of, you have to have this product to be successful kind of thing. I, I don't watch any of those, but if the, if I feel like the, you know, the content is, is around what's important to me, I still enjoy watching them. Um, I don't watch as many as I used to because it's hard to find them now, but there are still some good ones out there. And, um, Steve Rennell is one that I, I'll be honest. I, I, I find myself going back and forth a little bit on, on some of the things that, that, you know, I've, I've, I've heard said, uh, either in his podcast or on some of the stuff he's done, but they're very, they're very minor and few and far between. And for the most part, I really like the message of the guys is, is putting out there. Um, and again, I've said many times, I, you know, I know there's a lot of people that, that still love to gun hunt that shoot traditional gear and I have nothing against it. It's just, it just doesn't fire me up. So I don't do it. Um, and I've definitely got nothing against it. And I still enjoy watching people that, that do it and are successful doing it. Um, I enjoy watching it. It's just not something that I care to pursue myself. So anyway, I don't really have rituals, but you know, there's definitely things that I find myself doing that, you know, gets me in the frame of mind. And I find I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to a more the closer, you know, hunting season mm-hmm. gets. Anything else there or want to move on? No, I think that's good, man. That's just a, it, it's pretty straightforward. So, um, we'll start getting into a little bit more of the heart of the matter now, I think around, you know, prepping for, um, you know, fall hunting seasons. And number four, we hear, you know, I've got here is, you know, do you, do you feel like you've got enough hunting locations, um, to last the season? And, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, I kind of came to the same realization uh, around this as, and I won't say as Jason Sam Koviak did, because I think he came to the realization a lot sooner than I did, but he started talking about it, or I heard him start talking about it about the same time or maybe the following season of, uh, you know, if you hunt a location, 
the first time you hunt it is always going to be your biggest chance for success. Um, and if you hunt it consecutive, like, you know, you hunt it two days in a row, three days in a row, or maybe three times the same week, each time you do it, your, your chances of seeing anything, especially if you're pursuing a, a nice buck, it, it, the, the, the chances you're going to see something just drop dramatically after that, that first day. Um, so, you know, making sure you've got enough, uh, hunting locations, especially if you're hunting, uh, private land and mixing in some public land or, or, uh, maybe you hunt all public land, making sure you've got enough locations that you can, you can move around a lot. You can switch it up a lot. You've got backup locations in case you, you show up one morning and, or one afternoon and somebody's already, you know, parked where you were planning to hunt, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's, you know, now's the time to start thinking about that um, and being sure that you're not limited to the same view day after day after day. Uh, be prepared to move around a lot. And I've got some more there, but I'm going to flip it back to you and, and, you know, what what you might have on this on this subject. You know, I think you I think you pretty much covered it. I would just say, you know, every I don't have as many spots or anything like that, but I, I just make a plan. I know that at a certain time of year I'm going to hunt where I like to hunt at Grand Valley there um, on that land. And, and a certain time of year I know I want to go on public land. Uh, over in Yankee by, by John. Um, and there's, there's parts of the year I, I want to hunt right here down the road from my house. Um, so I kind of, uh, and you know, and if there's other opportunities to look at, you know, I'll do it. But, um, I agree just, you know, no. And the biggest thing is, and that kind of goes back to the journals is like in the wind, uh, really pay attention to the wind and know what spots, you know, where you're going to have good wind that day or, where where is not going to be good? Um, you got to that backup plan is really important. I mean, you're just not going to go for something bad. You're wasting your time. Um, so yeah, you need an A and a B, and sometimes a C, <laughs> especially if you got limited time in the woods. So or you can be like me and try to have all the way through Z and and then start counting on your on your fingers and toes too. Or or, or I, you know I, you just I, as a wise wise man once told me if the if the if the wind is bad just turn around <laughs> you had to go there you just had to go there you couldn't help yourself uh so <laughs> i'm not going into that story um we'll we'll leave people wondering what we're talking about so here here's the here's here's the next the next question though is okay what what if you don't what if you don't have those locations? You know, what if you're, what if you're hearing this right now and you're going, you know, oh, you know, I don't, I don't have, if I want to start moving around a lot, I don't have enough locations. So, you know, what can you do? Well, first and foremost, get out and scout now. Um, in fact, if you've got locations where you want to prehang stands, now's the time to do that. Um, try to get in, get out as quick as you can. But, you know, that's 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 what you're running out of time to do that right now because um, you're running out of that that buffer zone of of when you should be uh, out of the woods before you want to go back into hunt. I, you know, I try at a minimum to not be anywhere near a place I'm going to hunt four weeks prior to the season. Longer's better, which is one reason I was saying if I'm going to get down to middle Georgia, I've got to do it this weekend. Um but you do have, especially if you're in a state that's not here in the south, you know, your season may not open until October. You've got two months. 
now's the time to get out there. Um, if you're not sure where to start, the, the first thing to do is go back again, as Nick said, review those journals, review your hunting logs. You know, places that you've seen during the past that maybe you didn't hunt last year that you could go back and look at. Um, break out the topo maps and start looking at them. Um, if you don't know, you know, where to start when it comes to looking at maps, Jason uh, Samkoviak has got some some great videos out there. Dan Infault's got some great videos out there. Uh, we've got some as far as how to use the tools uh, on the Traditional Outdoors YouTube channel. Get out and look at those. Um, Jason's also got this uh, uh, bow hunting whitetail course that covers a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of resources out there. Now's the time to to start trying to learn and get familiar with that. You're you know you're running out of time quick. So um, if you if you don't have those locations pre planned. Um, there's always going in blind and definitely think that's a, a very good uh, method if you know what to look for and if you know how to look at um, uh, uh, satellite photos and topographical maps and being able to go out and, and use those two resources to, to narrow down the, the areas that you're going to go in blind to. It's another great option. Um, but if you know, you got a, a steep learning curve there, if you, if you haven't tried that before to get that in between now and the, uh, uh, the 2019 fall season. So I guess my big point here is, uh, if you don't feel like you're prepared, start planning as soon as you hear this podcast, you know, get busy with it because, um, you, you've got a limited amount of time left between now and the fall season. Um, there was another one that we were talking about earlier, Nick, um, that I do think I want to include in here. And that's, you know, if you're planning on doing any uh, group hunts or anything like that, you know, be thinking about who you're going to be hunting with, uh, where you're going to be hunting with them, uh, where you're going to be hunting with those individuals. Um, you know, be thinking about those things now. Obviously, that doesn't apply if you're you know, if you're, if you're hunting out of state, because you would have already done that planning now, but if you're hunting within state or you're hunting a state that has over the counter, uh, tags, it is something that you should be thinking about. Oh, totally agree. And, uh, you know, people got a, I, I, I'm a pretty social hunter. Um, I have a couple camps, uh, every year that I usually attend, or at least even just hunting with a buddy, um, syncing up, you know, vacations, uh, making sure everything's okay at home, uh, stuff like that. Um, if, if you got camps and stuff planned, you kind of, that's where you're going to be hunting. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of got to, um, that all factors into that plan. So it really does. And, and, you know, it's, uh, it, it bears mentioning here that, um, nothing can ruin a great hunting experience than having the wrong people in camp. Um, so start, so start vetting. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I mean, even if you go back and think about, um, you know, we, we talked about last week that Jerry Russell's trying to fill a, a spot for a, a hunt in Australia. And that was the first thing he told me is I'm less concerned about weapon as I am finding the right person to have in camp. I mean, it, and we, you know, look, we're lucky. Most of the, I can't think of anybody that, that we know and have, have hunted with that, that would, would fall into that category. But I've heard horror stories. Um, uh, um, 
Ryan Gill was one that uh, talked about one on the episode we did with him because it was in his book. You know, the the, the wrong mm-hmm. person in camp can ruin the experience for everybody. So it's just, it is definitely something to keep in mind. Yep, definitely. Oh, so you want to yeah, take a uh, number we're three? We're on to another, uh, another inventory one, checking your inventory, but this is, this is odds and ends. This is odds and ends and accessories, but crucial things. This is things like headlamps and flashlights, making sure you've got batteries in them. There's nothing worse than getting out into the woods in the morning and getting ready to set up and you have no flashlight and have to navigate by phone screen. Um... GPS, making sure you have a, at least a compass. You should have a couple, but at least one compass in your bag. You know, go through your day packs. Make sure you got everything in there. Thermocells. There's nothing worse than needing your thermocell and not having any pads or any fluid left. That's a terrible feeling if you need it. Um, I mean, all all of these things. Can you think anything else there, Steve? That that you'd want to check? Uh. I kind of have to kind of have talk through it a little bit, and I'll probably think of something as I'm going through it. I, back to your thermocell comment, though, you do that here in the South, and they may only find your, <laughs> your bones left when That's they true. when they find you. They, I mean, they'll just devour you here. And I I do know some people that actually carry two uh, thermocells with them. So you know, definitely the thermocell. Um, there's nothing I can. Again, speaking from experience, there's nothing worse than trying to find your headlamp. Uh, the night before opening day uh, and trying to figure out where you where you had it last, where you left it last. I've, I've done it multiple times and it sucks. Um, so, you know, getting that gear together now, if it's using rechargeable batteries, making sure the batteries are charged, um, making sure, you know, get your knives you, sharp now. If you, you know, if you if you have knives that you use for for butchering game. Um, get those sharp. Now, if you have a Havilon, either resharpen your knives or get, you know, make sure you've got enough blades for the season. Um, make sure whatever you use for pulling your gear up into the stand is ready. If you're, you know, if you're using rope or paracord, make sure the tangles are out of that and the, the hooks and the latches are good. Um, if you're big into calls and those kind of things, do you know where those are? Can you put your hands on those? Is there any, anything you need to do with those? You know, they do wear out over time. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I can't. I don't want to get into the the um, the the field equipment so or the you know stands and those kind of things until the next. Uh, that's our our next one. I kind of gave that away. Well, and but, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll add this. You know, make a hunt kit for your car. Like I I, I well, what about first aid? Well, that kit? too. That's definitely you know same thing. But in my car, like I forget stuff all the time. Steve will tell you that. Um, I, I have in my car, I have usually a spare knife. Um, I've got a compass. I've got, uh, probably a little file, um, for broadhead sharpening. I usually keep it, it at least one flashlight in there and, uh, whether it's DEET or whatever I'm going to need, I've got all of that in there just in case I forget something because usually, sure. you know, and I don't know how many times I've gone into the woods with, with somebody else and they said, Oh, I don't got a hunting knife or I didn't have a hunting knife or, you know, that's, it's, it can ruin a hunt. I mean, it's, it's something you kind of need. And, you know, you laugh about that bow, that bow, that bow tote cable, but I'm telling you what, I mean, a couple of times when I hunted with you this last year, when I jammed that tow cable, just back in my pack, you know, at the at the at night because I was tired or whatever, and the next day went. Oh, oh and it is man. a nightmare trying it, to get it untangled. Oh in the my dark. god! And then you just sit there and sweat. You're just about ready to quit by the time you're done. 
and 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 curse and lose your religion and everything. And then it's else. daylight and you're um, still messing with <laughs> your bow. Your exactly. bow. I mean, if you can't get the bow up the tree, you're not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I do want to go back to the first aid kit. Until you you said that about you know your spare equipment kit, I didn't even think about it. But you know, the first year I went to Wyoming, Tom and I went to Wyoming. Um, I put together a, a pretty comprehensive first aid kit. It's not huge. It's uh, half the size of a football, maybe. Um, had never had never fooled with one before, and every year since then, there's been some some emergency that's come up that I've needed that kit for. Luckily, not for me per se, but for people that I've been around. And it was really nice to be able to just go, you know, hold on, I'll be right back, and go pull that that kit out of the out of the truck. Um, you know, um, uh, Jerry last year. I can't remember exactly what happened, but he 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 came off his climber sooner than he meant to and tried to catch himself and it ripped his hand open pretty bad and it was it was he he cursed me a lot because I told him that the iodine wouldn't sting and it did but <laughs> I knew he wouldn't let me do it if he if he knew it was going to sting but um you know it's it's it it definitely makes it a lot easier to deal with small emergencies like that without panicking if you know you've got uh, an emergency kit to take care of that and if you do have one now's the time to go through it replace things that you've met you've lost or used um and replace anything that's that's out of date so that was a good i didn't think about that until you mentioned it but um another really good point to think about what we got next uh so i guess the next two um you go ahead and take number two because I'm going to take the last one. Okay. So you go ahead and take number um, two as well. If you hunt from an elevated position, check your equipment. Same thing. Check the check the steel cables, the support platform. Uh, check your webbing on your straps. Make sure they're not frayed. Check your harness. Is your harness out of date? How long you've had it? Have you fallen in it? Is it time to replace it? There's no point in getting cheap on that. Otherwise, why are you even wearing one? Uh, Lyman belt tethers all that stuff just if you're going to be up in a tree <laughs> everything better be right and the last and again a good scenario if in a bad scenario you know you want to be covered um so you know i i don't know if there's any more i can really say about that one well and this this one is just it's it's all about safety number two especially you know I, and it really only applies to to guys hunting from elevated positions but you know, that's 90, 98% of bow hunters are hunting from, from stands, saddles, climbers. And this one comes down to safety. Don't be a statistic. Um, make sure your equipment is ready to go. If you've got stands you leave out year-round and they're, they're, they're manufactured stands, um, you definitely should go out and check those things before opening day. Um, carry your harness. Climb just like you were going to be hunting and check, especially those cables that hold the platforms. Every year, somebody falls out of a tree because they step into that platform and those cables give way and they haven't attached their harness. Um, and that's a whole nother point. Don't step onto your platform unless you're attached to the tree with your harness. Um, I'll come back to that one in a minute. But really, check your equipment. If there's any signs of, of failure, wear, fatigue, replace those parts it's just not worth it um you mentioned the webbing um lineman's belts if they're looking frayed or worn out replace them 
You mentioned the harness. Most people don't realize harnesses have a lifespan. Once they exceed that lifespan, you need to replace them. Um, don't put it back as a spare. Don't it, throw it away. Buy a new one. Um, if you've ever taken a fall in it, like you said, throw it away. Buy a new one. Um, these are not the places you want to cut corners. Um, and that applies to, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're using a tree stand, a climber, if you're in a saddle. Um, all of these things apply, and, you again, you need to test that equipment. Um, so just don't be a statistic. The last thing I, I want to hear uh, or see is a, is a post on Facebook or something about somebody that has fallen and is severely injured or possibly even killed because their equipment failed on them. Um, and, you know, it's it's – it's insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you just—it's one thing you just can't cu- cut corners on. Um, there was one thing I was going to throw in there, and I kind of got on a roll there and forgot what I was going to go back and and add. But uh, I think we—I think we covered it well enough. Um, if you're in doubt, <laughs> replace it. Um, if there's any of these things that you're not comfortable with doing, now's the time to be practicing. You know, practice getting, you know, if you're, if you, if you're not used to hunting in an elevated stand and this applies to you in some ways, Nick, you haven't, you've hunted some in a stand, but not a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if you're going to be hanging stand yourself for the first time, now's the time to practice when you can do it six foot off the ground, as opposed to 20 foot off the ground or 18 foot or whatever you want to put these things at. Mm -hmm. So, um, get familiar with your equipment. Absolutely. And that brings us to, to number one, and it's kind of, I wish we could do the, the, you know, the big drum roll like Letterman used to do when he'd say, and the number one reason is, um, but this one is, is, I think it's important. I think it is often and overlooked by all of us. Um, and it's probably not one that most of you are expecting to be our number one. Um, but our, the, the number one thing that, that I think everyone should try to do between now and the start of deer season is, Find some extra time to spend with your family, especially your wife, your kids, your husband, your girlfriend, whatever this is. You know, spend time with those people that you're getting ready to start abandoning for long <laughs> periods of time as soon as the season opens. Um, and there's, you know, there's multiple reasons for that. You know, there's, it's just the right thing to do. Um, it, it, it does buy you a little bit of, of, uh, bargaining now if you you know if you're spending time with them now when when you want to go hunting on that weekend that that you know your wife may want you to do something with her instead it helps um this is not in any way saying once deer season opens you completely abandon your family and disappear but um it is a it is a good way to to pay it forward you know we all know or at least i do um, I can't speak for you. Yeah, next. I know how I get, I, I, I know how I get when hunting season starts. Um, I'm tunnel visioned. Um, it's work and it's hunt. And that's, that's just the way I am all. And our season's long, you know, my, our season starts early September and it's mid January. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's a lot of time. It's just a lot of time. So, uh, I think it's something that's that's very important. A lot of people tend yep. to overlook, which is the reason I moved it all the way down to our. our and I don't one. think I get quite as tunnel visioned as you. I mean, you you live and breathe hunting, um, and I love to hunt, but you know, I uh, 
it's it's just making sure that I, I'm always making sure that my girls are getting time. That that's the biggest thing. Um, and and it's just balance, and and you and you learn that. You know, you make make deals. You know, kind of like okay, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go hunt today, then you know maybe uh, maybe we do this this day, or maybe we go out to dinner one night of the week this week, or or something like that. I mean, it's it's you can make it work. You actually do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, around here, sometimes I sound like a tobacco, tobacco auctioneer when I'm starting to try, <laughs> try to bargain, bargain extra days in the woods. So, yeah, I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, well, I... But, you know, it's... it's it's. Um, I, I have a hard time putting my myself in other people's shoes, but I know I know it's... I know it's tough on, on my wife. She does a, she does a lot of things, uh, during the hunting season, um, that I would normally have to deal with if she didn't do it for me because she just knows, she knows how much it means to me. You know, another thing is too, is I, and Steve, you probably, Lori's, Lori's been with you long enough to not care what happened to you in the woods. (laughs) Most likely. No, not true. Yeah. no, I know she likes to hear how, how things went, but I I like to I like to you know I like to sit down and tell Jess what I saw and and how it went and not just nope didn't see nothing. Um, I I think that I think that matters. You know, I I tell the girls they always want to know they're giddy to know what happened out there. It's a big mystery to them, so that helps too. I think you know it helps to show how much it does mean to you. I and I agree. I agree. Um. You know, I don't think uh, if if honestly and truly, I don't I don't think Lori could really care one way or the other what happened. But she she does enjoy hearing me. Unless you mention snake or bear, she's not all not all that well, keen about that. Yeah. Well, she's she's convinced that that bears are vindictive and they'll they'll follow you to your truck and and, and, and back to your house or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with hi, so, hiding by your truck with a knife. <laughs> all right that was a good list well that's that's it i mean i i think uh i think we've we've beat i hope we you know maybe help some people think about some things they they have not thought about if there's you know if there's people out there that are that are listening to this that are less seasoned than i am from a from an age perspective maybe you know there's some things in there that you just haven't thought of before so uh i hope it helps somebody or at least get some thinking about hunting season at least, yeah. Right, at worst case, it should definitely get them thinking about. about like you said, we're a ways so. off yet, but you're 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 a whole lot closer. Yeah, I haven't looked at the countdown yet, but I think we're probably somewhere around five or six weeks now. So, I've really got you know I've got a lot of stuff that I need to do uh, myself. And one thing, and I didn't put this on the list because I'm hoping everybody's much better at it than at the discipline than I am. But I've I've got to start getting out and getting a little exercise and. And working on some some leg and upper body strength between now and the first of September because I've, I've I'm in bad shape right now. So. <laughs> Got to work on that. You'll get there. I'm sure I will. All right, man. Well, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up with that. Um, thank you for participating with me, brother. Yeah, it was fun, man. And thank you everyone for listening. As always, we definitely appreciate any reviews or uh, positive, kind words you might leave us. 
uh, on iTunes just to help spread the word on the podcast. And I'll also mention we still got uh, Traditional Outdoors t-shirts. Those are available on the website. Just go to traditionaloutdoors.com and look for the merchandise tab and you'll find the shirts there. You can place an order. Most shirts we have in stock, some of the uh, the uh, two, well, 3X and above sizes we will have to uh, order those but we can get them pretty quick so help support the show uh, pick up a t-shirt and look good while doing it and until next week thank you everyone for tuning in talk to you soon